This is Burton Chawla, and you're listening to the Black Box Podcast. I think there's two ways to play the game. You can play for now and monetize your name, image, likeness as an athlete, or you can play for the future and monetize you for yourself. And when you do that, you take those brands with you after you're done playing because they came to you for you. Welcome to the Black Box Podcast. I'm your host, Burton Chawla. This is a conversation with industry leaders in the sports, music, entertainment, media world. Uh, We got a very special episode. The young and brilliant Kirby Porter. Lots of titles there. Investor and director of marketing for Will Ventures, which I definitely want to get into. 30 Under 30, Sports Business Journal. Rising 25 Under 25, Front Office Sports. I've never won any of these, by the way. I find, I find, I'm very <laughs> they're, accomplished. They're and, yeah, I guess so. I'm that old, right? I'm that old. Fair enough. They went around. Right. And then the creator of ideas to assets. That's a good place to start. Kirby, I guess I should start with, thanks for doing this. Of course. I've been tracking you for so long on social media, LinkedIn and Twitter, and we have mutual friends, Mm -hmm. whether it's Genevieve or Jamie who works at Pepsi or Amina, and I'm like, I got to get you on the show. It was actually like really a priority for me when I first thought about this show, so thank you for doing this. Of course. Uh, I'm excited for you to educate me on a few things. What is the creator of Ideas to Assets? Ideas to Assets, if I had to describe it, I would say it's a mindset for athletes. So for me, it kind of started with my journey as a creator, as a content creator, all the way back in 2018. I know it doesn't sound like it too long ago, but mine started in 2018, right when I was starting my career at Pepsi. And I just wrapped up my career playing sports. I played basketball at Harvard. And was beginning this Damn. new chapter. Don't gloss <laughs> over that, right? It's a big deal to go to Harvard. Yeah. It's a big deal to play Division One. Yeah, thank you. No, it was and in my favorite sport, like to be like selfish. Like I grew up playing hoops, and I'm a diehard basketball yes. fan, and still am, and like got so geeked up this week. So yep. that's dope. This week has been amazing for this basketball yeah, fans. Yeah, yeah, for sure. From the W Championship yeah. Sunday, the game last night, like it's it's yeah. up. But yeah, no, like my journey started in 2018 with a podcast called Court to Corporate, which was about highlighting student athletes in business. And it was really inspired by this like new model of athlete-driven media that we saw with Uninterrupted, with the boardroom, with Players Tribune, and wanting to find a way to show student athletes that, you know, weren't in the 2% that went on to play professionally, but were also starting their careers and had influence that you too can adopt this mindset. You too can create your own media platform around yourself and around your passions that leverages what you got from sport to accelerate your business chapter. So for me, that was court to corporate. And the output at the time was sharing career advice for athletes, interviewed 40 athletes. So I too am a podcaster, so I'm excited to be here. Um, Interviewed 40 athletes. And um, at the time, you know, as you're creating content, it's very easy to focus on like the what, like getting out this podcast episode, making sure I'm distributing everything, getting across all the platforms, all that. And it wasn't until I took a step back um, after about a year and a half of doing it that I realized why that all mattered. 
And for me, I realized that the process of creating content had accelerated my journey in so many ways. It had opened up so many things that I you know, wasn't passionate about at the onset to what I'm passionate about now, to a network in sports, to a new set of experiences, and really kind of building my brand in a really organic way. And all those things are just... And you were coaching these athletes up to, this is how you build your brand while you have a platform. and But it's not even just about, because we're talking about the 99% that don't go pro, right? Yeah. So it wasn't about how do you grow this platform so you can monetize. It was more yeah. about how you could sort of leverage it for a job or a career or yeah. a start of your career. So don't, don't. And are you still doing this? Yeah. So now it's ideas to assets, right? It's just the, now that I've done it, I know how to share that knowledge with others to help them get from where they are to where they want to go in their journey as a creator. So this is this is three years ahead of nil name, image, oh, and yeah. likeness, right? Yeah. I mean, so, I, knew, I knew nothing about it, but <laughs> you know, I'll I'll say that I saw the future. No, I didn't. <laughs> okay, so here's an easy transition to nil. Like, right. I, I see you tweet a lot about it. I tweet a lot about it. I am. I mean, I think you're thinking about it in a more layered way than I am. Or I should ask you. I'm really happy people are getting paid. Like, yeah. I've always had this approach and mentality of like, of course they should get paid. Right. And so it starts with for me like. I was cool with whatever Calipari was doing in Kentucky. I have friends who played in the NBA who were McDonald's All-Americans and who said they didn't take the bag. And I said, you should have took the bag. But it's getting deep. It's yeah. covering some of these 99% who are not going to go pro but yeah. are getting local and national deals. So what is your general disposition about what we see? It's early. Yeah. What's your general disposition about it? Yeah. I mean, I think it's so exciting. I think it's long overdue and I think it's common sense. Like, <laughs> yeah, for you know, sure. like I, I think it's it's great that we're here. And I think now it's like, OK, so what do we do with it? Right. Yeah. I get a little worried. The only thing I get worried about, one, I hate the idea that it's state by state. Mm. Right. And like if the state approves it, then the kids get an opportunity. Right. Yeah. And I think that will really affect where kids play yeah. if it's not uniform across the board. Right. Right. I don't think you can ever get over if Kentucky's going to give a kid a Porsche. Like you, that's it. The local, it's not even Kentucky. It's the local Porsche dealership mm -hmm. guy who's like, I'm Kentucky fan or or an alum. You can't ever get over that. Right. So there's going to be unevenness in where kids go to school mm -hmm. as a result of that. So, I mean, it might actually improve the Ivy League's chances because Ivy League alums, yeah. right? Yeah. But I hate the idea that it's not uniformed because I think it's going to cause a lot of bad disruption like mm. you know i don't know uh, here's a, a bad hypothetical if i was a father of a kid who played in new jersey and new jersey didn't allow kids to get paid but new york did mm -hmm. i'd have my kid play in new york yeah and i just think it messes up the whole system but but I, in general i'm with you I, yeah. I love name image and likeness i think it's dope i think you were ahead of the curve <laughs> and i guess speaking of head of the curves will ventures so I'll read this title again, Investor and Director of Marketing at Will Ventures. First, tell me what Will Ventures does, and then tell me where your seat is and what it yeah. does. 
Yeah. So Will Ventures are an early stage VC firm investing in the idea that sports are a proven ground for innovation. And that thesis is really started by our co-founders, Brian Riley and Isaiah Kasavinsky. They've been working together for 10 plus years. Um, they have experience as athletes. Isaiah played in the NFL for nine years. They were entrepreneurs together. They were uh, founding uh, members of the Sports Innovation Lab and have really kind of taken that expertise that they've built up over the years to get to the starting point of Will Ventures and really redefine what it means to invest in what's a perceived niche of of the sports market, but really say that, hey, sports are a way to drive value for startups at the early stages, right? So define early stages for me. This is a world that I'm not that familiar with, right? Like VC firms, right? And then I guess I have two questions and one's probably easier than the other. Define early stage for me. And then are you guys only focusing on, on sports? No. Okay. No. So I'll I'll finish kind of the thesis. So the thesis is that sports are a proven ground for sports. And what that means for us is that we invest in the largest markets, right? Like we invest in health and wellness. We invest in media and entertainment. And sports is the way that we add value through our network with leagues, teams, players, associations, okay. athletes. Okay. And those things can really drive value um, and really accelerate the, the growth of startups at the earliest stages. And so that's the way that we kind of view the markets. And early stage means, you know, seed stage to series A. And it's really the ground level of building a company from idea stage to just kind of having a proof of concept to getting your earliest users on your app or your platform or whatever the product may be. And I think that's what makes it exciting. I don't know you, but the spirit, the sense I'm getting from you is this fits into sort of your mantra in general, right? The idea of like being inspired and then inspiring people and, Mm. and that sort of concept. But how was the transition from Pepsi, Fortune 100 marketing company, to VC firm. I mean, it's a completely different muscle that you have to exercise (laughs) for that, right? Like, I imagine the thinking is different. Yeah, it's very different. And it might, like, if you don't know me, it might be like, wait, like, Right. Where like what? <laughs> like, but to me, it made sense, and I think a year later, it makes complete sense when people kind of get to know me and they understand my passions and they learn more about the firm and um, how it really is just kind of a continuation of all those things. Right? The jump felt like a big jump at the time. Like I had been at Pepsi for two years. I was on our Mountain Dew brand team my first year. I was on our sports marketing team my second year on our NBA partnership. Um, and then joined Will Ventures last July to start um, and, and kick off our marketing. And it felt like going from a big company to a startup. We're a startup firm, right? Right, and right. And I think it's, um, you know, it's one of those opportunities where, you know, if you can find that mission that you're passionate about, a team that you're excited to work with, and an impact that you're excited to make, like, I felt like all those things kind of lined up with me when I thought about the opportunities, it made complete sense. So it was a transition. It was a lot of learning. I remember uh, leading up to starting my role. It's like I had spent two years in marketing and there's a lot more for me to learn in marketing, but I like spent that summer like studying marketing again. Like I had never knew what marketing was before because coming into a role as a first marketer, it's like you need to know your shit. Yeah, of course. <laughs> you need to know your shit. So I was on LinkedIn Learning every single day, like starting from like ground level, like how to build a brand strategy, like how to build a marketing plan. It's like, yes, like I've learned those things, but you just want to have that solid foundation so that when I go in, now I can focus on learning about 
venture capital. Now I can focus learning about all of our portfolio companies. Now I can focus learning on. Okay, so this the is space. good insight. I don't think I ever did that kind of homework, but I also <laughs> I didn't go homework. to Harvard. Yeah, I didn't go to Harvard. So I imagine you Over do. Prepare always. So so walk us through that. Like I think that's fascinating. I think to anyone. So what was the process of learning? Like how did mm. you identify so you said LinkedIn. Okay, great. I'm sure you didn't pick up marketing 101 at Barnes and Nobles. Like, <laughs> what, like, how did you identify this? Yeah, on, you know, because you know, LinkedIn is content curated by LinkedIn, but also content curated by users, right? Yeah. And let's be honest. There's user failure in, on social media a lot, yeah. right? So how'd you identify? Okay, this. Did you see someone's like? Here's a case study. Like, yeah. how, like, how did you like? build out, okay, this is what I should be studying. Mm. Like, okay, you tell me you studied it and that's smart and you came prepared yeah. so you could learn other things about a venture capital firm. But how did you study? How'd you build, what's it called? A, a syllabus? What's it called when you go to school? They oh. give you a syllabus? Oh, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Here, this like is what we're going to study. Agenda, yeah, like yeah. a playbook, right? Right. Here's, this is what we're going to study. How'd you build the playbook? That's a great question. I'm trying to think back in my head at that time. I think I just worked backwards. I thought about like, Right. What are the things, when I get there, what are the things that I'll need to accomplish? What are the things that I'll have to do when I start my role? Right. And just understanding the context, it's like being the first marketer to roll, I'm going to have to define the brand strategy. I'm going to have to make a marketing plan for year one. I'm going to have to make a content plan and all the other plans that fall below that. And understanding that task you just kind of work backwards and then you figure out what are the, the resources available. Google is your best friend. So it was all up on there and just being curious. It's like you come from a marketing background, but there's always more to learn. And I feel like knowing that I, I did the work, I was like, okay, now I can go in just being ready to be like a sponge and learn from the team and do interviews with the team and just hear from them. Like, what do they think about the brand? What are their aspirations for Bull Ventures? What are the origins of Bull Ventures? And then I can back that into these like frameworks that like I know like the back of my hand now. So was there a case study that stuck out? Like that made sense. Do you remember that? Mm. Um, was there something at Pepsi? Like it's still mind boggling to me. And I guess I just don't do a lot of research. I just kind of go with my day. But like, <laughs> like to build a playbook like that yeah. is mind boggling to me. Like yeah. was there, do you remember like a learning lesson where you're like, Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Like, mm. I don't know. I guess maybe a better example is like things that made sense once I got into role. Right, right. Um, because I think I realized that like once I got there, I was like, oh, I have so much to learn. Yeah. I have so, so much to learn. And I think the biggest thing I'm glad that I did is that I tried not to come in with like any set points of view of like what I think the marketing should look like and really just wanted to hear from the people that had built it, the people that had been there, what their thoughts were, because I think that allowed me to be more malleable, more flexible in like how I executed things. And then also coupled with that, like really diving in to the market that we're in, right? Like using the things that are at our fingertips, our advantage. So my Twitter feed went from sports and like women's sports yeah. to all VC. Like I just followed, like literally it was kind of crazy, but I just like followed every single person like on VC Twitter, but just to start to understand like what is going on, like put myself like in the context, be able to speak the language, understand the key players in the space. Um, because I think, you know, 
cultural relevance is very key to, you know, building a brand. And as a marketer, you have to have that insight. You have yep. to know what's what's going on so that you can figure out where to play. Yeah. So, okay, putting aside the – I'm not totally putting aside the marketing hat, but I'm probably going to bring this up later as well. But, like, how I kind of got aware of you, even though I said, like, mutual friends, right, really was your social media. And – I think it was LinkedIn that started it for me, but Twitter really accelerated for me. Like I, I really enjoy, and I'm not just saying this because you're on the show. Like, <laughs> this is the truth, and I try to be truthful. I don't want to ever, ever like butter up anybody. Right, that's not my personality. <laughs> I honestly find your Twitter to be super engaging. Like. Not that like I'm like going back and forth with you on it, yeah. but more like, oh, that was a really interesting thought. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of what you've talked about is women's sports. I definitely read that a lot yeah. from you. And we had the head of content for Just Women's Sports on the show, Ben Osborne, who's my homie of homies. And brands, and then this is where I sort of swim. I, I talk to brands every day. Brands are investing in this, yeah. right? And being conscious of it, you know? I just got off the phone with Amina Charles. Yeah. We talked about how important it is for Beats to be, you know, aligning with more women's athletes. So tell me as a marketer, like, where's your head with, I mean, I guess you, you were an athlete, so you can really yeah. identify with this. Where's your head as far as where the market's at? Do you think the market is like mature? Do you think that we have a long way to go? Do you think that, I hate to say it like this, do you think some brands are just doing it to check a box? Like, where's your head yeah. with all of that? It's a great question. I don't think the market's mature. I think people are just like waking up and yep. they're understanding what they were ignoring for so long and how big it is. Yep. So that's why it feels like so front and center right now. I'll say, you know, something I tweeted <laughs> to your point, right before coming on here, <laughs> sometimes I just like my ideas just like start going and like right. I'll go and like tweet storms and then like I won't tweet for like a week. <laughs> and then, right. That's and the beauty like, of Twitter yeah, though, right? Exactly. Like you get all your, you can dump all of exactly. it there, right? Yeah. Brain dumps. But something I just shared, I don't remember the exact wording, but it was like women sports have athletes with the mo most multifaceted brands. And that's why we're the most marketable. And explain that. Yeah. So it's like, I feel like if you're a girl that played sports or you're a woman in the sports industry, like you get it. For example, I think it's the the situation in which like you come up playing a sport and you have to be your biggest fan and biggest cheerleader, not only for yourself, but for your teammates and for the other fellow women sports on campus because you're not automatically getting that sport just because you're a guy that plays basketball. And so I think one part of that is that it translates into you know how to build community, you know how to build an audience. That's why yeah, that's I just fair. I always that's think about that, yeah. you know, statistic after March Madness that, you know, the top ten most followed college basketball players, like a large majority of them were like women's sports. Women basketball players? Yeah. Or you're saying ah, okay, got yeah, it. Yeah, women okay. basketball. So one, I think women that play sports know how to be brain advocates for themselves and for others. Because they have to do it yes, their whole life. They have right. to do it because right. no one else was doing it for you until it was cool. Right. I also think the horizon, frankly, for women that play sports is not as clear cut like for example, in the WNBA, there's like 144 spots. It's very competitive. Not everyone that plays basketball at the collegiate level is going to have that 
that shot. Right. Right. And the horizon to see what your athletic career looks like post those four years isn't as clear and it's not as tangible. So you start thinking about what else can I do? What are the other lanes I can play in? What are the other passions that I can explore earlier on than men's sports, I think, right? It's like it's you're not as one-track-minded. And um, I think what that translates to is being multi multifaceted, multi-passionate. I think that's the difference between men and women in general. <laughs> like I got nieces and nephews, right? This is like kids that don't like – haven't been con- like programmed yet or anything like that, like – and you could just see their natural instincts are different, yeah. right? Like, boys can do one thing, like punch each other. Yeah. And girls do like seven things. It's, I mean, I'm literally, it's night, and, like my niece and nephew are the same age. And I'm watching them grow up and I'm like, God, why are these kids so violent with each other? Anyways, I digress. That's a good point. That's a good point. And so I say that to say because it's like, these things are common sense. And that was even hard for me to explain because I'm like, yeah. this is just how I operate. This is just how all of us operate. But what it translates to is that we're the most marketable. And so I think it's like brands are waking up. I do think brands that are authentic in the space, like you can tell, versus like others. Yeah. But I think it's but just- But does it matter? Like if they're giving you money and helping promote the sport, even if they're not quote unquote- authentic there's value in that right like i won't name brands but some of them i'm like really this brand got involved like i don't know it depends on like which frame of reference you're thinking about value i mean if it's you know endorsing the players and and they're getting their check i think that's great but does that add value to the brand i don't know i think that's only (laughs) damage to the brand if people can clearly what do you think woke people up do you think it was social media like what caused because I mean, I would argue from a marketing standpoint, I'm not going to argue quality of play because I'm not an expert, but I don't know if the WNBA has ever been hotter and it's been right. around forever, right? right? So like what what started this? Because yeah. it's not like it's, oh, this is a startup league. So now we got all this marketing dollars yeah. behind it. Like it's been around, but it's, it's hot around. right now. Like what do you think quote unquote woke people up? Social media, the idea of like we have to be woke. Like what is, I'm sure it's a combination of things. Yeah. I think it's a combination of things. I mean, I think, if anything, it's just a culmination of people seeing the hard work that a lot of people have been putting yeah, sure. in for like a that long, long yeah. time. Like, there are so many people that have been advocating for women's sports, for women's basketball, for the W, that have been doing this for years, right? Yeah, no and doubt. And people see the result. People see when you when you made it. People see when it's hot, but they don't see all the work that they've been putting in for seven, I mean, I won't even say seven years. That's an arbitrary number. I don't don't know where I got that from, but for years. And so I think that's one thing. It's like people have been putting in the work. I do think, you know, honestly, I remember I did this podcast at the very top of the pandemic and they were like, do you have any predictions for sports over the next year? And I think I said, um, women's sports will be the winner in the space because I think entering last year, 2020, I mean, right now things well, are foresight. things are back, and you know, like sure. you know, life is great for everyone. But if you think back to that time, like it was such a great opportunity for consumers and fans to not have as many distractions, and sports were the one common denominator throughout the entire yeah. time. And I really think it was a time in which people were able to see the brands and personalities of these women sports stars. I also think there's been a surgence of media in the space, like just women's sports, our portfolio company, right, that are really just kind of highlighting why there has been such a gap 
for women's sports coverage. Yeah. I also, you know, I, you know, I won't spend too much time. I don't want to be a negative. It's it, like, it took so long, right? Yeah. Like, God, because well, there weren't resources. Yeah. It and, wasn't cool. But, yeah, but to, yeah, exactly. But the resources, what I said, like these brands are dumping money into, into this and that's great. That's what creates the resources in my mind. I did a cover, God, I'm going to date myself, but like this, I'm actually proud of this. In 2007, so you were really young then. In 2007, <laughs> I sold Nike on a concept for all women's magazine. Mm. And this is how far behind the curve. So I worked at a high school uh, sports publication at the time called Rise. Mm -hmm. It was once called School Sports. We we branded it to Rise. We eventually sold it to ESPN. In 2007, we got Nike to commit to an all-female high school sports publication, national Mm -hmm. publication that would be in a million. We would print a million copies, would be in like, you know, hundreds of schools nationwide, right? Mm -hmm. High school. And Elena Deladon was the cover wow. athlete. And I went to, where's she from? Delaware. I went to Delaware to shoot the shoot the cover. She was a sen- She was entering her senior year of high school and she was a, the best high school basketball player in the country and she was like the best high school volleyball player in the country. Wow. Like, I don't know if people know the, her story. Like, And she decided to not touch a basketball from the day her junior year ended till the first day of practice her senior year. She decided wow. to spend like nine months not touching the basketball because she wanted to focus on other things. Mm. So she was a unique cover story in, in a lot of ways. But the point of the story is, okay, Nike dumped a lot of money, gave me a lot of money to do this thing, to produce this magazine when print was still hot. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we did a bunch of stuff online. And I really thought, and you know, we eventually sold to uh, ESPN, and then ESPN created ESPNW, like right mm-hmm. around the same time. They had an initiative, we had an initiative. They bought our company, and I really thought 2007. I was like, oh wow, this is coming. Like, yeah, women's sports is going to be highlighted more, and brands are going to get behind it. And it didn't feel that way until the last couple of years. Mm. So like we're talking about a 2007, uh, you know, again, using an arbitrary date is 2017, like a 10 year gap of like, yeah. I didn't feel it. Yeah. So I'm always curious where it came from, but I guess it doesn't matter as long as we continue to carry the momentum yeah. the right way. So what's your prediction? What's your, you've been very good on some, um, <laughs> you're, you're ahead of the curve on women's sports, you're ahead of the curve on nil. Like what's yeah. your prediction on as the next sort of, frontier for women's sports like what do you think is going to happen next man this might be an outdated prediction now because the w like really popped off this yep this summer but i do think women's like within women's sports this is biased opinion sure but i do i want your opinion that's why you're here (laughs) i do think women's basketball players will be some of the most marketable yeah i really do think they will i think it's just kind of a culmination of a league that is I actually brutal. said this to my boss recently. I was like, you know, we should really like think about because I do a lot of content around NBA players and we sell to brands. I was like, we really gotta start thinking about this yeah. because it's they're really interesting, mm-hmm. right? I mean, to your point of like they don't get they don't jump as early as NBA guys do from college to the NBA. So they end up being like super educated, interesting, but also like more worldly than mm-hmm. than other athletes, right? Because, like you said, they have to be, but also like you know, that's part of what school does for you, right? Yeah. So, and to your point, I think brands are seeing that, or also they just want to be on the right side of history. Either yeah. way, I think you're right about that. I actually had, I spoke to Nick DePaulo who covers ESPN the shoes. I asked him that. I mm-hmm. said, 
but for sneakers, I said, okay, basketball's a really saturated market. Skateboarding is a saturated market. There's lifestyle. There's Yeezys. There's all this stuff. But where do you think like the next market is? Mm-hmm. And he straight up said he's like the WNBA. Yeah. He's like more and more women are sneakerheads, or at least being you know highlighted as sneakerheads. Mm-hmm. And also he's like, there's money here. Like women are playing sports. They're playing yeah. basketball. So he agreed with you. Okay. I want to leave you on this because I think this is like aligned with your mantra. And again, great Twitter content for you. <laughs> I wrote this down. You, I think you tweeted this today or yesterday. I'm not sure. But I see a lot of this type of stuff. So I want you to leave us with, you know, what this really means to you at the core. You tweeted, athletes that really take the time to find their story, put themselves in a different position to write their own narrative. And we're in a world where athletes have opportunities and platforms, yeah. whether it's Players Tribune, whether it's on Interrupted or Boardroom, but also just IG, right? Yeah. So really break this down or expand on this thought, mm-hmm. right? It's a thought that we all have, right? Controlling your own narrative, but expand on what you meant when you tweeted this. Because this like caught my attention. It's it's very simple, <laughs> but this is a conversation I could have yeah. with you for three hours. Yeah. I mean, I think it goes back to ideas to assets. My whole philosophy is that I think there's different ways to build your brand. And I think there is a difference between athletes that build their brand for the moment and athletes that build their brand for longevity. And the ones that build their brand for longevity define their own platform. They're not just a conduit of brands and other people's messages. And they expand beyond just who they are as an athlete. And that's nothing new or innovative or revolutionary in in what I'm saying, but I think it's important to remind people of now, especially in this time, is there's a new subset of athletes that can build their brand and monetize and all these things, right? And I think there's two ways to play the game. You can play for now and, you know, monetize your name, image, likeness as an athlete. Or you can play for the future and monetize you for yourself. And when you do that, you take those brands with you after you're done playing because they came to you for you. And so I think that starts with knowing your story like holistically. And when I say know your story, I think a lot of athletes think they have to look outside of sports to find their story. So I'm not saying go find a random hobby, go find a random passion and just like put them together and like try to mix make some shake. I'm saying Figure out how your athletic journey has informed who you are, where you are today. And that's a part of what I did. And I think what has made my story and my brand very strong. And I want to teach other athletes how to do that. Because I think when you do that, you can be super targeted and strategic and attract things that are more in alignment with who you are and attract better opportunities and really build a business around yourself. And that only starts if you know your story. You probably are really good in the pitch meetings. Uh, <laughs> I want to do a deal with you one day. Kirby, I appreciate the time. Tell us where we can find you on socials or or Will Ventures or anything that you want to just like yeah. shout out. Yeah. So Twitter, I guess, would be a great place to start. Kerbo Bangs on Twitter and IG, Kirby Porter on LinkedIn, and Will Ventures. Just type in Will Ventures, W-I-L-L, Ventures, you'll find us. Cool. Appreciate the time. All right. Thank you. Thank you. The Black Box Podcast is not possible without the team. The show is produced by Gotham Podcast Studios in New York City. Special shout out to Raul Hernandez. 
Creative director, Alana Rodriguez. Video editor, Paul Aspen. Music by Ye Ali. All photos by Jonathan Gabriel Charles. Designed by Lineage Digital. <laughs>